This episode of Chat Grab on Cheap Pops is brought to you by zenpop.jp. Use the link in our description for $5 off your next order by using the code GRAPPLE. This episode is also brought to you in partnership with thebubblepanda.com. Bubble tea at home using their boxes that you can get off their website from bubblepanda.com. Welcome everyone to another very special interview episode of Chat Grapple and Cheap Pops Podcast. I am Chris Dredd, here with my main man Jay Bizzle. What's happening Jay? You good bruv? As always we are all good. And let's just say we every time we say we're going to hit a review up, someone <laughs> else comes down, comes down the road. That's right. And here we are again. About to hit you up with another super fun interview. Can't wait for everyone to hear it. Another, yeah, we just love WCW, so we can't help ourselves. We love it, bruv. The WCW, we love it. That's right. And uh, yeah, without further ado, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Let's get to it. Welcome, everyone, to another very special episode of Chat Grapple and Cheap Pops podcast. I am Chris Dredd, here with my main man, JB. And today we've got a phenomenal guest, someone who is iconic and definitely uh, brings out some memories of WCW. It is the amazing Alan Kwee Funk. Thanks for joining us, Alan. Yeah, man, it's good to be here, man. So it's, it's great to you have got you your, on. Uh, you got your uh, Lucha Libre mask or... Uh shirt on there i see blue demon in there yeah man this is our uh chat grapple and cheap pops podcast logo on the old merch we uh i got you try and try and uh plug that shit whenever we can we've even got the got the I'm mugs rocking something a little different oh yeah jordan's so, oh, nice <laughs> got the old wcw nitro shirt on man we are absolute suckers for wcw uh okay. we you know we as kids in the uk we used to get a little bit of it uh, on TV, we used to get the Saturday nights. Um, yeah. You know, we used to get bits and bobs. We used to get it on TNT, the nitros, uh, stuff like that. So, you know, for us, we, I mean, we've had a few guys on from WCW. We've had uh, Sonny Ono. Uh, we've just recently had uh, Das Wonderkind, Alex Wright on. Oh, yeah. Um, Alex, great dude. Oh, he's a, a really nice guy, man. It's, uh, you know, and we, we just love WCW, man. So to have you on, um, you know, because you were there literally at the, when it fucking fell to shit, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And it, it's incredible because the last pay-per-view of WCW, uh, it was Greed, the Greed, greed pay-per-view. Yeah, Jacksonville, Florida, yeah. We we reviewed that pay per view because this is what we do on the on the channel as well. So we review old pay per views and we watch them. And dude, your match at the beginning with Jason Jett fucking blew the roof off the place. Like, and oh, to think it was the last pay per view is incredible. Yeah, you know we weren't even booked on that show. I just happened to show up there because I was down in Florida, you know, hanging out with some baseball players that I was friends with and uh, catching out some spring training games uh, with Ming and you know some of the boys. Uh, having to swing by there. Uh, cause you know, we were going to go to nitro the, that Monday anyway. 
so uh but i always i always showed up the you know arena with my gear and stuff you never knew it was gonna happen so they, while we were you know walking around that day they asked me if i wanted to work a match on a pay-per-view i said fuck yeah let's i'll work whoever you fucking want me to work you know so they said how about jason jet they wanted me to put him over i said shit and you know if you ever followed my wcw career you know i didn't have any trouble putting somebody over yeah so uh you know, the, as long as you work together and have a good match, dude, I, I could give two shits whether I ever won or lost, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, we we uh, we set the tone for that night for sure, man. I appreciate you, uh, that compliment you give us on that match because it, it uh, every we had like 15 minutes, bro. We tore the house down. All the guys in the back afterwards were saying, shit, man, we don't want to follow that match. You know, we, we set the tone for the for the pay-per-view, so I was kind of proud of that match. It was uh, it was cool, man. That cross body to the outside when he moved out the way looked fucking great, man. Yeah, you know we we uh we you know Jason Jet dude, he was a great great talent, man. And uh, you know we, uh, I guess some people thought he trained in a, in the power plant a little bit, but he but he never did. But uh, man, he had some he had a real short career in WCW, almost as short as mine. But uh, <laughs> he uh, he man, that kid was incredible. He could work with anybody. He could do anything he wanted to do. And, uh, you know, when you worked him, it brought, brought out the best in you. And, and uh, hopefully I brought out the best in him. And, you know, if you watch that match and, you know, so a lot of people still tell me this day, man, that was one of their favorite matches on that pay-per-view. And they thought the, the rest of the pay-per-view was kind of mediocre compared to that match. So that, that makes me feel good, you know. From what I can remember, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get much better than the than the opener at Greed. Like that was that was the match. And then it, for us watching it, it progressively just got a little bit worse each time. Like the yeah. rest of the show. You, you guys yeah, didn't that, like that the uh, cruiserweight tag match on that card? Oh hell yeah! Uh, that oh, that was good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we because we we've um, been chatting with I've been chatting with Sam Roman, um, Kid yeah, Romeo. Yeah. Good dude, and, man. Um, good dude. You know, hoping to get him on, and you know, it's one of those ones where at that time in WCW, it it fucking sucks, man, because. You know, it looked like you there was a, a load of guys there at that time. You know, forget about, you know, the fucking NWO and, you know, that kind of shit that was happening. You know, even the main event and Steiner and stuff like that or whoever. You know, there, there was a group of guys coming through there. You know, the Eli Skippers and the um, AJ Styles and you and, you know, the Jason Jets and stuff. Uh, Sam Roman, you know, all those guys coming through. The wrestling was was pretty good on, on the... I say, you know, the mid card or however you want to fucking call it, you know, but the, the wrestling was pretty good. And to think that WCW ended so abruptly, it kind of sucked, man. Yeah. Well, you know, the only thing I can say about the, uh, like, you know, me and Elix Skipper wrestled on some, uh, for the cruiserweight title a couple of times on, we, uh, fall brawl was one of the shows we, you know, we always, you know, I call them curtain jerkers. We we're always first match. Now, if, if uh, you know, and me and Alex Skipper wrestled semi-main event on a Nitro before. So, you know, if you're going to have a pay-per-view, you're going to have two guys that fucking blow the house down and they bust their ass every fucking match. Why don't you put them higher in the car? Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, build it up a little more. That, that was one thing WCW always dropped the ball. You know, they let us have our matches, but they never give us no direction. They just said, you know, here, have, have your shitty little match. Basically how they, you know, they didn't say it in so many words, but, you know, they're like, ah, hey, you know, you guys are going to fill the card in. You know, we got to worry about the Steiners, which, you know, I love the, I love Rick and Scott Steiner. Don't get me wrong. Uh, two good guys. Uh, but, you know, some of the, some of the upper talent, man, they just, you know, they, they didn't, they, I guess they, they were established and they didn't give a shit. They just did whatever, you know, and some of their matches look like shit, if you ask me. And, uh, you know, I'll tell them that to their face. And, you know, all of us younger guys, including myself, the Natural Born Thrillers, all the guys in that group, Sean O'Hare, uh, Chuck Palumbo, Mark Jindrak, Rick Cornell, yeah. uh, Sam Roman, Elix Skipper, all of us, dude, from the power plant. We went out there and bust our asses every fucking, every match, man. We didn't go out there and 
one night and even if we felt like shit you know we all wrestled with fucking injuries and broken fingers and you know shit and you know and i i think we uh lit a fire up under a lot of the the other guys' asses that were on that roster because you know they were like fuck we can't work with you guys cardio wise you guys will blow us up you know they knew we were gonna fucking you know go out there and do 120 percent. so some of the guys were actually afraid to work with us in the ring because they thought we'd blow them up and they'd look like shit Hmm. you mentioned the the power plant and how many people like came through and were working from the power plant at that time like in wcw was it a tight-knit group like that sort of came up at the time Oh, dude, yeah, we we were all, uh, you know, we traveled together, we we you know hung out together, we you know we we shared rooms, shared rental cars, you know, different times, you know, depending on what the situation was. Some of us, we all were together at one point in time, or you know, there'd be two or three of us on the road this week, and then next week there'd be two or three more of us. So we always we always, uh, you know, even if we weren't traveling with, you know, a couple of the guys every week, you know, every couple of weeks we'd hook up and you know just we 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 were always real close, so that you know. When you know when you share a bond like that, when you went through stuff, the 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 torture and you know the the horror that we went through sometimes in a power plant, it brings you closer together as a group. You know, there's um there's a British journalist called Louis Theroux. I don't know if you've heard. Oh of yeah, him. Louis Theroux. Yeah. Yeah, he, and he went to the power plant and he got he got blown up by Sarge and you know he was uh, dude, he puked at least twice that day. I was yeah. there. <laughs> uh, you you know we had he, we had him on the floor saying I'm a dying cockroach and. We, we beat the shit out of that guy. I guarantee he would never want to do that shit again. <laughs> but the thing is as well, though, but, the, you know, when you have outsiders coming in to wrestling, like we're wrestling fans and we've also trained in wrestling, Jordan and myself. So we yeah. know what it's like to fucking take a bump, to take a chop, to even yeah. take a slam, you know, even taking yeah. a suplex and stuff. If you don't take it correctly, man, you fucked. Um, you know, so when these guys come in and they kind of make a mockery of wrestling, you've got to chop the shit out of them and you have to you have to go in. It's protecting the business, right? Yeah. Well, listen, man, when we were down to power plant, we didn't have to protect the business because let me tell you something. Our warm up, like I'll compare this to the damn tough enough in WWE. Yeah. Our warm up was what those guys went through and they're dying. <laughs> those guys wouldn't have fucking lasted five minutes in a power plant. I'm not saying that because I was in there. I'm saying it because it's 120 percent the truth. The, and if Sarge would actually Sarge went down to that uh, deep south with that tough enough where uh, Bill DeMott was was doing it, they wanted Sarge to do that. He walked in there and started, you know, he looked around, people were telling him this and that, and they looked at Sarge and they're like, "You can't act like that, Sarge. You got, you know." And Sarge's like, "Fuck you, I'm leaving." He fucking left, you know, because dude, let me tell you something. And Sarge is an old school guy, and it's not really about protecting the business. It's about you earning your fucking right to be there. Yeah. And that's how, and that's how it should be. You know, you didn't just walk in the power plant and, and, and get invited in there to train. You fucking earned your spot. Trust me. So how, how did it come around that you kind of start, were you a wrestling fan as a kid or how, how did it come about you getting into the business? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm from a small town in Alliance, Ohio, uh, grew up, you know, pretty much, you know, idolizing Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, I first saw him on when I watched a movie with my brother and his family. We watched uh, Rocky Three, and I was like, "Holy shit, this dude is awesome!" So then I started watching wrestling and watching him, and I was like, "I, I want to be like this guy when I grow up." You know, and I, you know, I was young, so uh, you know, just growing up, everybody I went to high school with, you know, they knew me as, you know, they basically my my nickname was Hulk Hogan because that's all I fucking wore Hulk Hogan T-shirts, and I wore a fucking you know, those shitty ass cheapy foam fucking weightlift or uh, 
championship belts that the WWE used to sell. I had all, the, <laughs> I wore that to school and shit. I wore that to graduation, you know, on, and, uh, you know, that's how everybody knew me. I had a, I had a 65 Plymouth Valiant red. I spray painted Hulkamania on both sides of the car. Wow. Uh, you know, wow. I drove that shit to school and, uh, you know, everybody thought I was a fucking nutcase. But, uh, you know, and that's what it takes to get in the resume business. You got to have that mentality, you know. And uh, I, I just always knew I wanted to do that. So, uh, you know, after seeing shit on the power plant, me and Chuck Palumbo talked about this. You know, we saw the same ad, you know, where the big boys play or whatever and come down and try out. And, you know, I paid my $250 and I knew I was going to make it. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind. And if you told me I wasn't, you know, I would have had words with you or we probably would have fought because uh, I knew I was going to make it. And uh, I know how mentally strong I am. I know how physically tough I'm, I am. And uh, there, there wasn't no one denying me that three-day trial. And I, out of 25 guys, I was the only guy that made it through there. That's, that's, I mean, that, that is the stories that you hear about the power plant, that basically a, a whole heap of guys would, would go down there, but very few would really make it through because you have to be a tough son of a bitch to, to get through it. Oh, let me tell you something, bro. That, that was literally the worst three days of my life afterwards uh you know i flew down from ohio to atlanta uh when i got back i i, I couldn't even get out of bed hardly after the first day of tryouts i had i literally and i tell the story all the time i literally would fall out of the bed crawl to the bathroom i couldn't even fucking walk i'd cramp up so bad i tied a towel onto the doorknob on the, in the bathroom and i'd pull myself up and sit on the shitter i'd have to pull myself off with the towel to get off the shitter and i'm like i don't know how the fuck i'm gonna make it another eight hours of this shit that was the first day you know, so I said, I got two more days of this shit, man. Then by the third day, man, I, I was ready to fucking die. I ain't kidding you. I made it through the tryout the next day, getting on the air. It, it was fucking hell getting to the airport, get walking through the damn, just trying to get on the airplane was a fucking task because my, I kept cramping up. I was, I'd walk 10 steps and fucking almost freeze up. My legs would cramp up on me and it, it and I, you know, I couldn't, you, there was nothing you could do about it. You were just that beat up nuts you and you, you started you started doing things on wcw saturday night would you compare saturday night now to sort of like what nxt is uh i i don't know if i, I it's similar i wouldn't com yeah. really compare it to because you know they you know they got their own show and, and they promote all these guys a lot different than the, than the uh, saturday night show was promoted the saturday night show really it, you know what it was one of them shows where when i grew up i loved watching it Cause you got to see guys that you didn't really see too much of. And you, you know, you got, you pretty much knew who was going to win the matches. But now when we started, you know, you had a bunch of us from the power plant wrestling each other. So you kind of really didn't know who was going to win. Cause one week I'd win the next week, somebody else would win. And uh, it kind of made it cool. Cause you know, it give us, it give all the power plant guys a platform to wrestle. And they were sending us to all the shows. And we, we only recorded that once uh, it was every other Wednesday. So you'd sometimes have two matches. So you could be on two Saturdays in a row. Uh, so, you know, a lot of us had wrestled two matches every Wednesday night so we could get on the show every week. And, that, and that's what we wanted to do because we wanted to be on every show, you know. It's amazing. I remember the Saturday nights. We used to get those in the UK. Uh, we, that's one of the, the, the few bits that we, we could see. Um, so coming into the business end, so you, you were in the power plant. How did it come around you getting a contract and actually get, getting in? Yeah, well, after after the three day tryout, then you sit down with Jody Hamilton, which was uh, the assassin. Uh, he just passed away recently, so rest in peace, Jody. But uh, yeah, so you'd get called into Jody's office after your three day tryout, and if you made it, they'd uh, take you in the office and talk to you a little bit and decide whether they wanted you to come down. Which they, you had to pay three thousand dollars for six months of the training after the two fifty for the three day trial. So uh, 
fortunately I didn't have to pay that because once I got in there, you know, and Sarge, once I went through my trial, Sarge, me and Sarge kind of hit it off and he knew I was kind of like him, an old school tough bastard. And, uh, you know, there wasn't nothing you could do to hurt me. Wasn't nothing you could do to, you know, hurt my feelings or whatever. So, you know, I just rolled with the punches, did whatever I was supposed to do and, and, and more, you know, and I, that's how I got a lot of respect from a lot of guys, including Paul Ondorf. Paul Ondorf loved me because I had intensity and, you know, he knew I wasn't a pussy and I had a great body and Paul Ondorf loved that kind of shit. So they, they invited me down there for six months and initially I was supposed to pay this $3,000. Well, luckily when Paul Ondorf took over about that time from Sarge and Jody Hamilton and uh, uh, Jody kind of got pushed to the back burner, which was kind of tough. Cause you know, we all like Jody and it was kind of rough watching him kind of be on the outside and he, he really didn't like that. Uh, so once Paul took over, he had us wrestle. Uh, he he uh, teamed us all up and said, you're going to be wrestling this guy or you guys are going to be wrestling a tag team, you know, or this and that. So then they had Jimmy Hart, uh, JJ Dillon and a bunch of office people come down to the power plant, uh, set up a table, watch us wrestle. And if they liked us, we were invited to the new power plant, which is what the, at the WCW headquarters in Smyrna, Georgia. Uh, and then if you got invited, you actually got a contract. So it wasn't too long after I started in there that that's why I didn't have to pay the $3,000 because then I wrestled uh, Kid Romeo in a match and uh, me and Elix Skipper wrestled a match. You know, they, they loved our matches. They loved us. And, you know, they offered us contracts and then we didn't have to end up paying the $3,000. <laughs> Did Sarge get any sort of um, blowback from the Louis Theroux incident? You know what? I, I didn't hear of any. Uh I'm sure, you know, uh, I'm sure some people had something to say about it, but, uh, you know, the bottom line is Sarge wasn't going to let that guy, he, he, he uh, I'll, I'll set it up how it started. He saw Sarge and I believe it was Chattanooga, Tennessee at a nitro. So he was talking to Sarge about stuff and, you know, Sarge yeah. was pretty busy. He, he was setting the rings up and stuff at the time. And, you know, Louis trying to take up his time and Sarge is one of those guys, you know, he's no nonsense. He'll, he'll answer a question, he'll, you know, and move on. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, Louis was kind of getting under his skin because he kept, you know, saying certain shit to him. And I don't think the interview that you actually saw on Louis's, uh, on that Louis throw special, I, I don't think they had the whole interview on there. I think right. there was more shit said than actually they showed. So uh, either, either way, Sarge wasn't too happy with him. And then when he, you know, wanted to come down and train, of course, Sarge is going to say, fuck yeah, bring your fucking little skinny ass down there. We'll mm. fucking beat the shit out of you. And then you'll see that this fucking shit ain't no joke. But the, the only thing that doesn't do that justice is, People, when they see stuff like that, they think it's put on an act that we're actually doing that to Louis, but it's not. These fucking guys come in there, they sign a release form saying if they get hurt, they can't sue us or whatever. And yeah. uh, it was the same shit we went through. So to us, it was like, you know, if you want to come in here and earn your fucking wings and come in here and earn your wings, if not, you know, fucking puke, crawl your ass back out the fucking door and beat it. We don't give a shit. And that, that was basically the mentality. So, and I, I've actually saw grown men shit their pants in the power plant, crawling for the fucking door. We'd grab them by the fucking feet, pull them back in, and make them crawl to the door again just to fucking make them do it. Oh, shit. So, that's and, and that's crazy. the way it was down there. I mean, and, and you know, it, it wrestling. It, I mean, that is the old school way of getting people into the business. It is toughening you up and getting to say, you know, this is how it is. If you can't hack it, then you ain't. You're not going to make it. You know, yeah. you're not going to be able to do what is expected of you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, do do you think that um, 
you know that that those kind of wrestlers are, are still being kind of created do you think that the training style of today is just so far different that you know the guys not that they're pussified or anything like that you know because there are some tough guys in the business yeah. i mean you know you watch walter versus dragonoff in nxt and you know they're tough guys but you know what do you reckon like compared to nowadays you think it is a lot easier would i say or you know uh, yeah I, I would say it's hard to compare then then to now uh you once the power plant died off bro you you'll never have another school like it you'll never never uh just because you know every the whole world not just the wrestling world everybody yeah. is pussified yeah. so and like i said if sarge sarge if he would have done that tough enough when bill demont got thrown off of there do you remember that whole deal yeah, yeah. he didn't do shit like like we're dumped out and he got kicked off because they they didn't have them guys doing nothing like i said they're our warm-up would probably half of them buggers would leave you know and that, that's how and that's the start of that pussy firing shit started with a tough enough because these fucking guys act like oh I, I got through tough enough and we're like you got through what a fucking warm-up at the fire plant like that ain't shit like we're all <laughs> thinking fuck put us on that show and you'll see what the fuck you know you're supposed to be doing and uh yeah you, you'll never see another thing like a power plant ever again uh and you know there are like you said there there are some guys that probably still train like that in certain areas you know the country or whatever because you know you still got some older guys you know training these guys and, yeah and they're not just gonna let guys you know walk in there and not go through something and uh you know just walk in there and say oh yeah come on in you know give me your three e even though these schools charge money for stuff some of the old if i owned a wrestling school even if i if you're paying me three four or five grand or whatever it was to come to my school I'd still want you to be able to perform at a certain level and have a little bit of self-respect in yourself that, you know, you could take a, you know, a few, you know, a few uh, lashings from uh, some of the trainers and then still, still keep on ticking. You know, some of these guys probably couldn't do that nowadays. So. Have you um, actually thought about starting a school? We had Alex on and he's got quite a, a popular and uh, well-respected school in Germany. Have you ever thought about having a, a wrestling school out? Yeah, you know, I, I, I should have, if I was going to do a school, I should have done that a long time ago. Me and Mike Sanders actually talked about that when, you know, once WCW stuff was over with, I actually looked at a couple of buildings and tried to, you know, work it out and stuff. But uh, problem is I, I really didn't want to get into it by myself because you kind of need somebody else. Because, you know, I can't just train people all the time by myself. and You know, I yeah. get strung out too thin. Uh, but, you know, I, Mike Sanders really wasn't interested in doing it. He was at first and then, you know, then we end up not, you know, he didn't want to do it. And I really couldn't find anybody else interested in it because they didn't think there was any money in it. But uh, I mean, who knows? There, there could have been or there, there might not have been. I, I don't know. But, you know, but we could here, put here's a call the thing with Sarge. me. What's that? Put a call into Sarge, maybe. Uh... Well, I, I probably could have got Sarge. He was actually running a school up North Georgia at one point about that time. Uh, so he had his own little deal going on. But, uh, you know, I did think about asking Sarge, but, uh, you know, the problem with me is uh, I, I'm not like a, uh, I'm, I wouldn't be a good car salesman and uh, I probably wouldn't be good at opening up a wrestling school because I wouldn't just take somebody's money and train them. Even though, even if they couldn't hack it, a lot of these schools, you know, they're not very reputable. They'll just take your money. They, they, they tell these kids, Oh yeah, we'll train you that. And we'll take your money. I'm not like that. I, I, if, if I would, I'd have kind of like a three day trial, like the power play it, and it, but it'd be free. And if you couldn't make it, I wouldn't take your money because I wouldn't feel right about it. Unless I explained that to them and they still wanted to come in there and take a chance. Other than that, I wouldn't just, I probably would turn down a lot of people and it wouldn't, it probably wouldn't have been a good business venture for me.
I mean, it, but that speaks a lot to how legit you are, man, because like you say, you don't just want to take people's money and just, even if they can't hack it, just like, oh, there you go, you know, run some ropes and fucking, you know, yeah. we'll hit you with some clotheslines and do a bit of chain wrestling and, you know, take some bumps or whatnot and, you know, uh, you're good. You know, you want to be churning out those, the same kind of guys that were in the power plant. So, oh, um, oh yeah, I mean, yeah. who, who, who was in the power plant with you at that time then? What kind of, what, how, how many guys would we know many of them? Oh shit. Everybody. Yeah. You, uh, so when I get down to the power plant, after I do my three and try, I'm down there training with Elix Skipper, Sam Roman, Mike Sanders, Chuck Palumbo, Mark Jindrak, Johnny, the bull, Johnny Huger, uh, Rick Cornell, the Reno, he was yeah. in the natural born thrillers. Uh, and then, you know, we'd have guys like Sean Stacy come, come in there. We had guys like, uh, Putsky's son, uh, uh scotty putsky uh mm. you know then we had guys that come down there and train you know goldberg would come in and out of their train sometimes uh you know you had ddp coming in and out of their training you had uh you know uh brian clark which was in uh chronic he'd come down there and train a lot with us ray lloyd uh luther biggs which was him and ray were together in a little deal there towards the end of wcw uh you know you had dusty Rhodes down there jimmy hart guys and uh you know, all the guys that were in the power plant, man. You, well, I'm sorry. I, and I'm now probably missing Dale Torberg, which was the demon. He had his wife, Christy, which was Asia. She was in with like Perry Saturn and all those guys. Right. Uh, you know, and then we had another girl in there, a uh, black chick. Her name was Anne Marie Crooks. She was midnight. She was with uh, Booker T and uh, Stevie Ray at one point. Yeah. And, you know, and the women we had in there, we had Molly Holly. You know, we had uh, Shanna Sproul, which was Daphne every now and then. And then we'd have Crowbar in there a lot of times. You know, Tank Abbott, uh, Don Fry, you know, a bunch of good guys in there, man. I mean, that, that, is, a, that is a list uh, uh, as good as any, you know, and it, it is a shame. I mean, me and Jordan, we talk about it all the time, how WCW, it could have been different. You know, we, we just, you know, there could have been so much more done with it if someone would have bought it and carried on WCW rather than Vince buying it and kind of just fucking chucking it in the bin. Um, yeah. I mean, you were around at that time. I mean, what, what was it like backstage and what was going on at that time, man? It must have been weird. Well, it was weird, but at the same time, I'll tell you, when, you know, there was no direction really for, for my character, nothing. I couldn't really do anything I wanted. They, you know, when they give me my character, they told me, look, if you get any gay chance or homo chance or anything like that, in the fact, anything, you're off TV. So I'm like, well, you fucking guys are setting me up for failure, right? Because I got pretty much a gay character. Well, that's why they always had women with me. And then I never had to worry about those gay chants. And I was a good enough worker that I could kind of work around, you know, being the gay bit, you know, and if I would have started getting any gay chants, I would have just been angry Alan, you know what I mean? And I, yeah. I wouldn't have really worried too much about the Kiwi character. Uh, and luckily that's what helped me out. But, you know, it, it, it got weird there for a minute. And then I tell you what, when uh, Eric Mischoff came in and he was supposedly buying the company, that was towards the end. So he'd come to the shows, man. He'd start running everything. Uh, and, and this is a story I tell all the time. And I'm trying to get Eric Bischoff on my podcast. Uh, so Eric used to, uh, Janie Engel was a lawyer with WCW. And uh, kind of his, she was uh, going through, you know, helping him work through the, you know, all the legal stuff with buying a company and, you know, taking over everything. So she would, I remember she used to come to the locker room and come get me on these nitros at the arenas. And uh, then she would take me to Eric's office and say, you know, Mr. Bischoff wants to talk to you. And I'm the first time she did that. I'm thinking, fuck, this has never happened to me before. Like, you know, I, usually they don't fucking tell me shit. So I'm thinking, 
you know, I'm thinking on one hand, this might be good. And then on the other hand, I'm like, what the fuck's he want to see me for? Is he want to fucking fire me tonight? So, you know, I, I go in his office. The first encounter I had with him was, you know, awesome. We were in Indiana. I believe it was Indiana. Uh, he wanted, I was working Rick Steiner that night. And uh, Bischoff asked me, he's like, hey, Alan. He goes, I need you to put over Steiner real big tonight. Make him look strong because, you know, he was at that point where people were kind of thinking his character was a little weak and they wanted to build him up a little bit which, you know, I got no problem with doing anything in a match as long as both people look good, you know? So, yeah, uh, yeah so I worked Rick Steiner that night. I put him over like a million dollars, you know, and Bischoff, he was really happy with it. Afterwards, I go in the back. He's standing there. He gives me a big hug and says, dude, that was exactly what I fucking wanted. You did exactly what I needed you to do. He said, I really appreciate it. Thank you for doing me that favor. So then the next week, same thing. He calls me to his office. She comes and gets me. I go in there. He sets me down. He's like, look, he goes, you're going to be my next big guy. He goes, you're going to be my my next big superstar. You're going to make lots of money. You're going to be one of my top guys. He goes, how's that sound? I said, I said, Eric, sign me the fuck up. I'm ready to go. Like, I'll do whatever you need to do. And, you know, I kind of thrive under pressure. So I'm like, whatever you need me to do, Eric, you fucking tell me, I'll get it done. He's like, he's like, that's what I wanted to hear, you know? So we did that for three, four weeks. All of a sudden, we're, you know, and this leads down to the last pay-per-view we were talking about earlier at the Greed. So I wasn't even booked on that show. I'm driving down to Florida with one of the uh, office guys from WCW. You know, we're going to see some some baseball games and see some of our buddies that played pro baseball. So as we're driving uh, from up from the games to go to the Greed pay-per-view, well, Kevin Nash calls. He says, uh, hey, man, Vince just bought the company. And, you know, I, I'm thinking – you know, I knew Eric was in the middle of buying it. And I, as far as I knew, he was already, it was a done deal. So uh, I'm thinking Vince Russo come back or like, I, you know, it didn't register when he said Vince, because I'm thinking Eric and Vince. And uh, he's like, no, Vince fucking McMahon. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what the, what happened to Eric buying the son of a bitch? You know, like, I'm like, then I'm thinking, well, fuck, I'm fucked now. Because I was supposed to be fucking getting a big push now from Eric. And then what the fuck Vince, Vince McMahon comes in and just buys the fucking thing up from under him. Like I was like, I thought it was a done deal. So that kind of confused me, you know? And then, uh, so then nobody talked about it. I don't think too many people knew at the pay-per-view. So, you know, I didn't say nothing about it cause I didn't want to be the guy fucking spilling the beans. Cause I didn't know how many people knew. And from what, what I've heard, no one was talking about it. So I was like, fuck, I'm not saying nothing about it. So then we, you know, we get to the nitro the next night. Boom, fucking WWE everywhere, dude. We're all looking, going, fuck, this fucking really happened. You know, and it was really weird that night at the Nitro. And, you know, you see Patterson and Briscoe and you see Shane McMahon. And, you know, you're looking, you're like, fuck, like this is fucking actually happening. It was, it was real weird in the way it happened. You know, it was fucking crazy. So it means two, sorry, Chris, there's two things no. I've just picked up on. One, Don Fry training at the power plant. Was that ever to get him in the ring or was it just for cardio and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Time? No, he was down there. Uh, they, they had, uh, you know, they had Tank Abbott from the UFC. Uh, they had Don Fry and I guess they were trying to do angles and stuff. Uh, you know, Don never did anything for us on TV as, as, as far as I can remember. He was in a power plant training. They were probably paying him big bucks and that's why he was down there training. And for whatever reason, they never done anything with him, which is just like everything else. You know, a lot of times they have, you know, a thousand things going on and say they're going to do this, this, and this, and never fucking do any of them. So, you know, there's never ever a rhyme or reason, you know, it's to me, it was just like normal to see guys like that and then make a good money and all of a sudden never done nothing with them. So, you know, it was just for me, for me, it was just normal. So, but yeah, he used to train down the power plant quite a bit. 
And the other thing is we're going to have to, you know, make sure Easy gets a copy of this so we can get on the uh, on the Get Funked podcast. That's right. Uh, well, you know, Sonny was uh, Sonny Ono was trying to hook me up with Eric because they're good buddies. So, uh, you know, I, I still got a lot of good contacts from the wrestling business. So, you know, uh, I've had some good 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 guys on my Get Funk podcast. Uh, you know, it's a. Uh, well, I'll get him on eventually. I'll get him on. So Sonny's a good guy as well. We had a real good time with Sonny Ono, man. Oh, Sonny's the best, man. He's a great dude. Um, so, I mean, even uh, Alex Wright spoke to us, like I say, literally a, a week or so ago, and uh, he was saying that, that that happened a lot with WCW. You had guys who were being paid big money, but they didn't do shit with them. Um, you know, oh, it's yeah. like a lot of people were getting paid fucking big bucks to sit on their ass at home. Like, what, yeah. what was well, going you know, on? I can tell you a lot of times... J.J. Dillon used to come down to the power plant, and me and Paul were pretty close in the power plant. So I'd either be in his office. I was in his office quite a bit because he always talked to me about different things. And uh, J.J. used to walk in there a lot of times and be just me and Paul sitting in there, and then he'd have a list of guys, he's, and he would ask Paul, like, who are these guys? And I would look at it, and I knew some of the guys that were on it, and I'm like, well, the, this guy here is one of the Vianos, and, you know, so a lot of these Mexican guys were on there. They, they, were, they, they were paying these guys for months, maybe even years, you know, they're, they're uh, uh, you know, a salary, whatever they were fucking paying them and and thousand dollars, whatever, you know, and JJ's like, why the fuck are we still paying these guys? They haven't worked for us for like a year, you know, and and Paul's like, well, fucking get rid of them. Like, well, you know, and because Paul's, you know, he's a nose nonsense guy. He's like, well, quit fucking paying them, you know, so and uh, I, I just, and you know, like they had, you know, me and Macho Man were good buddies and, uh, you know, his, his brother, I never met, but uh, I can tell you. I do know for sure that he was making about 500 grand a year for a few years. Never did one fucking show. <laughs> so, well, I mean, and, and that's another reason why WCW was so fucked up. Cause you're paying, you know, not, I'm not saying nothing bad about leaping Lanny or, you know, Popo, but yeah, you know, he, it ain't his fault. They're paying him $500,000. I do remember he come to one show though. Didn't even have his gear. They wanted him to do something. He's like, I didn't bring my gear. Fuck it. So he didn't have to work. And you're making 500,000 a year and you're not fucking doing shit. You know, it's, it's amazing to me, you know, how, how they, how they did that shit. And I know for a fact, one day you come down there, they had Ric Flair's wife on the fucking, you know, making 300 grand a year, whatever the fuck she was making. She did like one appearance and she was on a contract just because she was Ric Flair's fucking wife. Mad. That you is know, it's the cr fucking nuts. The the wacky world of WCW, man. This is why we love it. And this is why, because we were intrigued with it so much because we, we watch what's on the screen. And even when we were, we were reviewing um, the greed pay-per-view, we spoke about, we said, look, it, it seems like some people knew what was happening and some yeah. people didn't know, you yeah, know, more people probably didn't know than, yeah. than knew. Well, man, like, I mean, you knew and you blew the fucking roof off that first match. You know, it was, uh, yeah. you know, great stuff. Um, well, here's my mentality at that point. I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen now, you know, and I'm not going to not have a good match because, you know, if WWE's watching this, obviously, they just bought the yeah. company. They might see that match and say, we need to put these motherfuckers on TV now. They're ready. Uh, of yeah. course, that wasn't the case, but that was my mentality going into that. You know what I mean? So, you know, I was going to take every opportunity I could get and show them what I could do. And that's exactly what me and Jason did that night. Did WWE offer you a deal? I, I did get a deal. Uh, I actually got a raise, believe it or not. Uh, but 
that's the stipulation was I had to stop whatever the fuck I was doing, move up to Cincinnati, Ohio, and start right back from square one with training the HWA, which was the Heartland Wrestling Association with Les Thatcher. Uh, he yeah. had a wrestling school up there, and that's where uh, a lot of guys uh, then joined us from the Memphis territory that WWE had. Uh, so they condensed the Memphis territory and the OVW territory into the OVW and HWA. So the WCW guys and, and the WWE guys were in Memphis went together in Cincinnati, Ohio, which was, you had uh, Umaga and uh, Rosie and Jamal, uh, uh, you know, the Samoan dudes. Uh, you had uh, Lance Cade, which was with uh, Murdoch. You had Steve Bradley. Uh, we had a bunch of good guys. And I, I know I'm missing a bunch of guys. But, uh, you know, a bunch of guys like that Then we trained with. Then we trained with, like, Eddie Guerrero, Brian Adams, uh, D'Lo Brown, Mark Henry, uh, Steve Regal, Dave Taylor. They all came up there. So we all, you know, they were all under contract with WWE at the time. So, you know, they're coming down there to work with all of us. Well, the, the shitty part of that whole deal was, I believe they sent the WCW guys down there that had TV experience and, you know, that were in shape and could go wrestle with all these guys and then we'd go down to ovw on sundays do a tv show with randy orton john cena batista the basham brothers rico you know a bunch of other guys down there that that were that are happen to be top names in wcw and some still are uh they just used us to train these fucking guys and then as soon as we got them trained out the fucking shitter man fucking wcw guys went two weeks before christmas they fired mostly every one of us fuck you know yeah that's fucked, man. Um, you yeah. know, but with, no, it, with it, no chance of coming back. Yeah, it's not. It's not surprising though. Sadly, either. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's a sh it's shocking, but not surprising. To be fair, you know, I mean, yeah. the, the amount of talent you had there. I mean, even we love Steve Regal and Dave Taylor because we're British guys. We've been trained in the British oh, way. Great dudes, man. I love them guys. Yeah, you know, they could work. Um, They're incredible. They still are incredible. Yeah. Um, so you were quite close with uh, Paul Orndorff then, you know, it's, uh, he's, yeah, yeah. He's he used to cute. call me on Saturday mornings and uh, say, Hey man, what are you doing? And, you know, I'd be like, I'm just, you know, hanging around the apartment with a wife or whatever. And uh, he'd always say, well, you want to come over? And he, he used to have one of his sons over at the power plant on Saturdays and want me to come over there and train with him. So, you know, I, I was one of the guys that uh, he, he liked because I was, I, he always told me I reminded him of him because I was real intense. And uh, whoop, sorry, man, uh, got a bug crawling around here. Uh, okay, <laughs> so I was real intense, so he, he liked he liked you know to work with me because he were I, he told me always told me I reminded him of him, you know, and I had a good body. I took pride in myself and uh, always wanted to be in good shape, and you know he he uh, he admired that, you know. I mean, uh, Orndorff was one of the best, and to, a lot of people would say that if it weren't for Paul Orndorff, you know, he, Hogan wouldn't have really got the push that he got because Orndorff helped really helped Hogan get to where he was um, yeah. at one time. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, Paul Paul was a great heel, man. And, you know, back, I, looking back on it, when I used to watch him wrestle, and you know, everybody hated that fucking guy. You know, and he, he'd always tell me stories how whenever he was in New York City and a lot of big cities, but he said a lot of times he always mentioned New York for whatever reason because it was more intense up there. He couldn't even go to the arena in a rental car because people, he went to the arena one time, I think it was at Madison Square Garden, and the fucking fans flipped this fucking car over trying to get into the arena. <laughs> so he asked, he used to have to, they used to have to get an ambulance to go to the hotel and pick him up and drive into the fucking arena where they didn't know Paul was in the back of it so he could actually get in the fucking building. Man, that's that old school heat, man. That is that. Oh yeah, dude, that's oh, awesome. 
that's crazy. So, um, talking about when you were growing up, you were kind of idolized Hulk Hogan. And a lot of times people say that you shouldn't really meet your heroes because sometimes when you meet them, they turn out to be fucking assholes or whatever. Like, yeah. how, how do you, how did you get on with Hogan? Did you speak to him much? I mean, he was there quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the first time I met Hogan was, uh, so, uh, Paul picks a couple of us to do uh, start out of the power plant. We're going to start our, uh, first kind of like loop, you know? So we're doing some house show loops, you know, we're, we go down to Florida loop back up around the Atlanta area and then we're done. So, uh, so me, Chuck Palumbo, uh, Sam Roman, and there was a guy in the power plant named Hardbody Harrison. I don't know if you remember that name. Yeah. So they, they pick us four to go on the first loop. So, you know, we're, we're driving around the loop while we get to Columbus, Georgia, and uh, Hogan's at the arena, you know, when I walk in there and I'm like, oh, shit, man. You know, I got, I got to fucking say something to him. You know, I got to say hey to him. So he was out actually with Nick. And Nick was a real, real small kid at this time. And he was out in the hallway, like playing catch with a little rubber ball, you know. So I walked out there and I, you know, I, I, I walked up to him and said, hey, hey, Terry, you know, Alan Fung, how you doing? You know, you know, I told him, I said, I'm just out of the power plant as our first loop. You know, it's good to meet you. I just want to introduce myself. And he was cool shit, man. He stood there and talked to me for, you know, five, 10 minutes. You know, we kind of made small talk, but, you know, he was real open and, you know, he was cool. And uh, as far as like, I never got to work with him, obviously, which would have been fucking ridiculous. But, uh, you know, but every time I had an interaction interaction with him in the hallway or, you know, in the locker room or whatever, it was always positive. He was always a cool guy to me. Well, I mean, you say you might not, you didn't get to work with him and it's not surprising, but you got to work with Goldberg and take the spear of all fucking spears. Yeah, um, see? <laughs> yeah, well, so I'm glad you said that because, you know, even Bill, uh, Jimmy Yang called me up one day and he was over in Japan with Bill. And uh, he goes, hey, man, Bill just was talking about you. I said, really, what'd he say? Uh, and he goes, well, we're all sitting here eating dinner and every, everybody wanted to know what he thought was the best spear of his career was. And he said me. So. You know, ho hopefully Bill still believes that because I thought that was pretty awesome myself. <laughs> Man, that springboard spear, dude, like, you know, and and to be fair, like, I, I, I'm kind of a small guy, so I was what they called a bump monkey, yeah? yeah? So when we were training, like, anyone who wanted to try a move, it was like, yo, Chris, come over here, man. We want to just try this or whatever, you know? So I've taken my yeah, fair yeah. share of sp spears from people, and yeah. they hurt, man, and you would have hurt yourself big time, I would have said. Well, you know, Goldberg didn't even want to do that spear. I had to talk him into it because uh, I didn't realize that I was wrestling him that night. And Mike Sanders comes up to me and Chuck Plum was like, dude, you're working fucking Goldberg tonight. And I'm like, bullshit. Like, why would fuck <laughs> I be working Goldberg, you know? Because up to that point, you know, I'd wrestled, you know, like Jeff Jarrett and stuff and, you know, like Steiner and this and that. But I'm like, why the fuck would they have me working Goldberg? So I walked around where the board, they had a chalkboard set up with all the stuff on it. Like, you know, segment one, this is whatever. And it said, you know, whatever match it was and uh Kiwi versus Goldberg. And I was like, fuck, they aren't kidding. I said, this is fucking awesome. So <laughs> I, I went looking around for Bill to see if he got to the arena yet. And I actually saw him out by the ring. So I, I walked up to him and said, Hey Bill, you know, we're working together tonight. He's like, he goes, Yeah, that's what I hear. And uh, you know, and I knew Bill from the power plant. So me and Bill were cool. Uh, but I always tell people the story, you know, we're working with Bill and being friends with him are two different things. He he was kind of a uh, hard head when it came to working with him. He, he was really cool guy to hang out with, but, uh, you know, to, to work with him was a little, uh, a little different. Uh, cause you know, cause he, he was Bill Goldberg and he believed he was fucking Bill Goldberg. You know what I mean? So I, he, he said, well, what are you thinking about? And I said, well, I said, can I, can I tell you what I want to do? And I said, you let me know what you think about this. 
And I said, after you go through the smoke, whatever, and I, I laid out the whole deal. The whole thing you saw was all my idea. I said, you slide under the ring ropes and I'll fucking start hammering you. And it'll kick you, punch you, whatever. And uh, when you feed up, I said, I got, I do the springboard sunset flip. And once you're about the middle of the ring, you know, I'll be kicking you shit. I said, I'll act like I'm going to springboard sunset flip you. You come fucking running and uh, spear me right in midair. He's like, holy fuck. So I said, watch this is what I'm going to do. So I jumped up and I did it. And I said, you got to get the timing down so you can hit me right at the right moment when I turn around. So we did a couple of them. And he's like, he said, no fucking way, bro. He goes, I can't do that shit. And I was like, I said, why the fuck can't you? He goes, because I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> I said, well, who gives a fuck? I said, it's going to be awesome. I said, whenever somebody says what the best fucking spear you ever had was, I want him, I want you to say Alan Funk by far. So he, he's like, well, let's, let, let me look at it a couple more times. So we did it. And he's like, he goes, no. Nah. He goes, dude, I'll fucking break you in half. He said, there's no fucking way. And I said, no. Nah. I said, we got to fucking do it, Bill. I said, come on, man. I said, you know, you train me the power play. You know, I'm not a fucking pussy. I said, if I get hurt, I get fucking hurt. It's part of the fucking business. I said, it's going to look fucking phenomenal. So we did a couple more times and then he finally agreed to it. And uh, I'm pretty sure he was pretty happy with agreeing to it because after we got done, He's like, holy fuck, bro. That shit was fucking ridiculous. I go back to his, he had his own private little locker room that night. So I go back there and uh, I remember my ex-wife was with me at the time. And we walk into his little private locker room. I knock on the door and we go in there and he gave me a big hug for like five fucking minutes. And he's like, he's like, he goes, dude, that was fucking incredible. He goes, I owe you one. He goes, that was fucking unbelievable. I can't fucking believe we did that. You know, and he was, he was happy as shit. So, you know, he said he owed me a favor, but he never, uh, he never uh, cashed up on the favor, so I'm hoping I can get him on my podcast and tell him that's the favor he owes me. Man, do it. We, it's it's got to be done, man. He owes you. He definitely owes you for that spear, dude. Shit in the bed like that. If anyone well, bruised my ribs, pants, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he bruised my ribs, which is the the gimmick they were trying to do was have him hurt me. So when I wrestle Sanders at the pay per view, I'm not 100. percent And it, uh, it actually worked to a T because I actually was hurt. Legit. <laughs> yeah, it was a legit. That was a shoot, kid. Man. Um, now on on our on our Alex Wright show last week, um, Alex Wright called one particular person a bit of a diva. I um, this wasn't uh, me, was it? This no. Uh, <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't you. But it's someone that you have had a little run in with over the past week or so. Are you talking about bag of dicks? <laughs> Marcus bag of dicks is that who you're talking about well the video has been it's been all over the place I've seen it on Facebook so you guys saw the video I'm, yeah I've seen yeah. the video what do you think of the video I fucking made that guy look like such a little bitch and, like there was a, there was the other guy there was another sort of like bald headed guy sort of shouting about being on a podcast not being on a podcast getting his yeah yeah getting his that was involved. his manager that was his manager oh was it his manager okay well let, let me tell you the story on that the guy that I was talking to that little fat fuck I called him he he was uh I was 150% in the wrong because I thought that was the guy that was on the – well, a couple weeks before, Marcus had an eight-minute rant about me and Mike Sanders, calling me a piece of shit. Next time he saw me, I was going to see the floor. He's going to kick my fucking brains in. So guess what? I knew I was going to see him that Thursday night, so I'm thinking, it better, better, no better time than Thursday night for you to fucking kick my brains in, you piece of shit. So I confronted him, and he didn't have nothing to say about it. He was scared shitless, to be honest with you. And – uh that little fucking fat guy actually stuck up for himself more than Marcus did, which I had more respect than him than I do for bag of dicks. So, but I did apologize to that guy. Cause he was not on the podcast. Uh, I, I went over to that guy. I, I held my hand out and said, look, I said, I am totally in the fucking wrong. 
because I was raised right. If I do something wrong, I admit it. Yeah. I went up to him and said, look, dude, I'm a fucking asshole. I said, I, I am totally 150% wrong. I said, I'm asking you to forgive me. Uh, please accept my apology. And he shook my hand and said, I accept your apology. I said, dude, you're a fucking man. I said, you, I can respect. I said, bag of dicks, I cannot respect. And he's like, he goes, so we're cool? And I said, yeah, me and you are cool. I said, I got no problem with you, dude. I said, if anything, you ought to have a problem with me because I, I was the aggressor and I was a dickhead. I admit it. But I made it right with him. And, uh, you know, if Bagwell wanted to make it right with me, he could either apologize to me or he could have let me beat his fucking ass. And neither one of those happened. So, you know, nothing got settled. Well, you know, go on, George. Sorry, I'm going to say, um, why did he go on an eight-minute rant about you and Mike Sanders? Okay, so Mike was on my podcast. And me and Mike told this story a million fucking times uh, about Marcus. He was all pilled up and drunk one night. We did an autograph signed at a, a car dealership several years back. And we told the story again. And we just thought it was a funny story. And we didn't disrespect Marcus in any way. And if Marcus thought I disrespected him, all he had to do was call me. And we could have fucking hashed it out. I probably would apologize to him. Because that's the kind of guy I am. You know, if you think I wronged you, I'll, I'll try to make it up to you. And if I can't, then I'm a dickhead. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, so, he, you know, he decides to go on this podcast that he just started and uh, have an eight-minute rant about how big a piece of shit I am and how he's going to whoop my ass and how I'm, you know, how he's going to stop my fucking brains in the ground. And I couldn't let it fucking slide. Next time I seen him, I had to say something or, or I'm a fucking bitch because I'm going to let a guy sit there and, talk shit about me and make me, and he was, I don't, I got hurt in Finland. He made light of that. Like, you know, I almost got killed in Finland. They told Mike Sanders I was going to die that night. And he's sitting there making light of me, getting my face smashed and my wife leaving me right after that. And uh, he just, you know, he, he just dug a hole that he couldn't get out of. And uh, now he, now it's even 10 times worse. He looks like even more of a bitch because he fucking bitched out when I confronted him about it. Shit, man. So what, what happened in uh, Finland when you got your, you got it. You, they told you you were going to die, man. Uh, well, I was, I was wrestling. Uh, me and Mike Sanders wrestled Elix Skipper and Sonny Siaki. And that's another power plant guy, Sonny Siaki. Yeah. So Sonny did a split like Moonsaw. And you know, Sonny's a big motherfucker. So probably the time Sonny was weighing 240, 250, he fucking come around, fucking hit me with a knee at, on a split leg Moonsaw off the top rope. Fucking hit me so hard. My eyeball popped out of my head. I broke both my jaws, my orbital socket, or I mean, both my eardrums, my jaw, my orbital socket, my nose. My actually nose was on the left side of my face. I got six plates in my face after that. Uh, so, and I was in the hospital that night. Mike went with me. I'm pouring blood out of my ears. Uh, ask anybody you know in the medical uh, field if someone's bleeding out of the ears, how bad it is. And they're going to tell you it's not very good. So, uh, I remember Mike coming in the room all weird, didn't want to say nothing, uh, just comes in a real, acting real weird, you know, and then he finally left. Uh, then when I got back to Atlanta, three weeks, I was in the hospital for three weeks in Helsinki, Finland, uh, had my full facial reconstructive surgery. Uh, I'm fine now, you know, still a good looking son of a bitch. So <laughs> can't dig that from me. So uh, then I get back to Atlanta three weeks later, Mike says, Hey, when you get back to Atlanta, I need to, you know, talk with you. So, you know, uh, my ex-wife picked me up from the airport. We meet Mike Sanders out for uh, Mexican food. Uh, I, I couldn't really eat. My jaw was all fucked up still. And, you know, I didn't have any function on my face or nothing. And uh, Mike tells me that night that uh, when he come in the room, when, you know, when he was acting weird, he said, you know what the doctor told me? And I said, no. And he said, uh, he said, go in there and say goodbye to your friend because he's dead. He'll never make it through the night. He said he'll be dead by morning. 
and uh and so mike kind of you know that, that's why he was acting a little weird because you know the doctor just told him his best friend was gonna fucking die you know what i mean fucking hell that is that i mean the that the wrestling business is is can be brutal injury wise and often it's the um the innocuous things that you wouldn't think you could do that much damage that actually yeah. could almost kill you you know it's yeah. um it, it, it's crazy it's a, a real dangerous business it can be um i mean that that's a crazy story but um to, talking about bagwell i mean we we've had out of all the people that we've had on the podcast he's a name that's come up time and time again who has he never wanted to do a job for no one he's never oh, yeah. he, he refused to on um alex wright's debut as berlin he refused to to kind of put him over. And to be fair to Alex, like Alex said, look, you know, he was being a bit political. He said, look, you know, I'm not going to shit on Bagwell, basically. You know, I can understand from a character standpoint or whatever why he didn't want to do it. But then we've heard then from Sonny Ono that he didn't want to put over uh, Ernest the Cat Miller, yeah. you know. So it, it's like a, a, you know, when when someone calls you an asshole multiple times, like, Maybe you're just an asshole, you know. It's like it, it's not everybody else. I, mean, I, I can vouch for everybody. He's an asshole. Trust me. So, and that's coming from the horse's mouth. He's an asshole. I, his mom would probably even tell you he's an asshole. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we speak about the Judy Bagwell on a pole match quite a bit on here as like tongue in cheek, but yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 crazy, man. Like you know, it's. It, I mean, the wrestling business is hard enough without the politics of people kind of screwing you over indirectly. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I, I feel, I mean, we feel bad for you because we feel that you had the look, you had the in-ring ability. Um, it just seems like you were, you were at the right place at the fucking, at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate that though, man. But yeah, you're, you're right about that. Uh, you know, which not only me, myself, you know, but, a lot of the power plant guys got overlooked, you know, and some guys went on to, you know, do a little bit more like Chuck Palumbo and, you know, Jindrak and them guys. Uh, luckily they were a little bigger, you know, big taller wise. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, but they deserved it. You know, I I've never looked down on somebody that I trained with or whatever, like Jamie Noble, for, for example, he was in a power plant. He still has a job in WWE. I just talked to him last week. I couldn't be happier for the guy. There, there's you don't find too many guys like that in the wrestling business that actually is still happy with somebody that are that's still working and making money. Yeah, Which, you know he's a friend of mine. Why wouldn't I want him to fucking succeed? You know what I mean? So you know, just because I'm not there, I don't have bad feelings towards guys that are, are there. But you know, yeah, did I get overlooked? Did I get treated like shit sometimes? Absolutely. But you know, did I have a chance? Did I do something that I want to do and I love doing? I got on TV. Absolutely. So I, I don't have any anything to bitch about you know what i mean i'm still alive and i'm i'm in good shape i'm 50 years old and you know i, I just never had the uh the uh it wasn't for lack of hard work i can tell you that it just just didn't work out but i mean jamie noble's a tough son of a bitch as well we um we reviewed a show where he had a great match with someone and he won it well when it jordan like it was if he gets if he won he got to take the chick home or something who was it Oh yeah, with Nydia or uh, was it the uh, other girl? It was uh, the other girl. Been, yeah, might have been Michelle McCool or something. Maybe I'm. Thinking. Yeah, it was. Uh, and it was. It was a great match though. Again, he's someone who Jamie Noble. He wasn't the, the the biggest of guys, you know, but he could fucking work his ass off, man. He was tough, and um, you know, he 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 brought that legitimacy when he was in the ring. And it's funny you say he was a power plant guy because they churned them out. 
Oh, dude, he, but Jamie was a good worker before he came to the power plant. Let me say that too. Right. But he came to the power plant. Uh, he was one of the, we called him the Canyon cruiserweights. He was one of the guys that lived in Chris Canyon's house. And uh, uh, there was like four or five of them along with uh, Tony Mamaluke, which was in the, the FBI. And uh, yeah. he was in WCW with Disco and, and uh, Vito LaGrasso and Johnny DeBull. Uh, but uh, yeah, there, there was, a you know, about four or five of those guys and they were all excellent workers, dude. But they got deals. They, they all used to train with Dean Malenko in Florida. And then uh, Chris Canyon ended up meeting them, got them a match at WCW. They got contracts. And, uh, you know, they all lived at Canyon's house because, you know, Canyon said, well, you just move to my house if you, you know, and then uh, until you find a place down in Atlanta. And it just worked out. He's like, well, why don't you stay here? Fuck it. You know, he had a whole basement that was a separate house with a kitchen and everything downstairs. So they just lived down there. But, uh, yeah, Jamie, if you ask, if you ever have Jamie Noble on your show, ask him who the toughest guy is. And I bet you, I, hopefully he says me. Man, we would. We'd love He's that. Telling people that I, you know, I'm, I always tell them how tough Alan Funk is. Alan Funk's the toughest son of a bitch in the wrestling business, and nobody gives him credit. <laughs> Man, that's that's uh, someone I've got to get on. Then I've got to get on Jamie Noble, try and get him on. But um, talk, talking about Chris Canyon, I mean, have you seen the um, the Dark Side of the Ring episode? You watched that? It was kind of fucking weird. Do you agree with me on that? It, it wasn't I, like I any of the other good. Dark Side of the Rings. Yeah, agree. To me, it was a little. I. I, I don't want it, it was almost it was almost unwatchable, especially knowing him. I used to hang out at his house all the time. Now I did I did know Chris to have a couple temp, temper tantrums that stuff like that to me is I've seen it. So that part of it, I didn't know the extent. I never I never knew he kicked out Vandenberg's windows and fucking tore his car up. Yeah. But uh, I seen him have a couple temper temper tantrums at the house over I have no idea what. Uh but I, I've seen him act like that. But he was always, to me, Chris was always a cool guy, dude. He, he had people over his house all the time with parties. And he, he, he loved having people over for, we had pay-per-view parties and just like cookouts and, you know, like more Memorial Day, Labor Day and stuff like that. He had a beach volleyball court in his backyard, a hot tub, a swimming pool, a putting green. And, uh, you know, we all just hung out over there, watched pay-per-views or fucking played sports in the backyard or volleyball and hung out and just had a good time. Uh, you know, did I think Chris was gay? Absolutely. I the, From the first time I met Chris, me and my ex-wife always thought he was gay, but he was always so fucking nice. I didn't give a shit if he was gay or not. It, it, it don't do nothing to me if he's gay or fucking straight. I didn't give two shits, but he was always cool with me, man. Me and Chris were good buddies. And, uh, you know, but, but the uh, dark side of the ring was just like, even the guys that lived in his house never knew he was friends with the Young Bucks. So to me, that kind of was like, how in the hell did he become friends with a young buck? And nobody knew about this. And even it, guys that live with him didn't know that. It, so when they were interviewing weird. them, I was kind of dumped out. I'm like, why the fuck are they? They need to be interviewing Jamie Noble. He lived in the fucking house. You know what I mean? It, well, it's, it's really interesting you say that because, I mean, it, for me, the, I, I mean, I wouldn't have made the link between Chris Canyon and the young bucks. Um I mean, but I'm not in the business or whatever. But like you say, you know, there was probably a shit ton of people who they could have spoken to who knew Chris over a, a, a very long time. You know, I mean, they had Van on there, didn't they? Obviously, they had him. Well, yeah, Vandenberg, and he was, he was probably the closest with Chris, and that's why he was on there the most. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, dude, interview guy. Inter I mean, Raven was over there all the time, you know. Uh, you know, they, they interviewed DDP, but, you know, 
DDP is not going to tell you what you want to hear. He's going to tell you what he wants to tell you, you know, because he's, he's more political. He, I mean, I'm sure he could have fucking told a million different stories, but he, you know, of course, you know, him and Chris were good buddies and he wanted to keep it professional and didn't want to say anything. But I mean, that's the point of those dark side of the ring. That's why it's called dark side of the ring. People want to hear shit that otherwise they wouldn't have heard. You know what I mean? So what would you think there was missing quite a bit out then? They, they kind of, yeah, I would say from from the inside looking out and watching that documentary, there there was you know to me it was kind of just it was chopped up and it was hard to follow, and uh, especially for me because I'm thinking, you know, what happened to the middle of the fucking story? They seemed to me like they went from A to Z and missed all kinds of shit. Did they call you at all about it? No, never called me at all. But you know they 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 wanted other guys in the story. Now this is what I heard too from a good source that they only pay these guys like 400 bucks to get on that show to, to tell your stories. And a, a, a lot of these guys, they ask like, fuck you. I ain't fucking going on there for $400. You know, I, I know uh, I'm sure it was both Steiners were supposed to do something with that one. It might've been that one, but you know, they wanted like 25,000, $50,000 or whatever. They ain't paying wow. that kind of money for an interview. They, they want to give you $400 and that's it. And you know, would I have done it for 400? Maybe, maybe not. It wouldn't have been about the money for me. It would have been about, you know, you know, telling some shit that I've seen over there, you know, yeah. dark side of the ring. It's not called, you know, the light side of the ring, you know, you know, great fucking stories. You know what I mean? It's people want to hear shit that they wouldn't normally hear otherwise. Well, I mean, there's a conspiracy right there with the fact the Bucks were on there and Chris Jericho is doing the voiceover for it. And obviously they're in AEW together. Yeah. Exactly. So- and Nick Cage or, uh, or no, uh, what's his name? Was not Nick Cage, uh, the big dude with the Wolverine locks. Uh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, Brian, Brian, Brian Cage. Yeah, Brian yeah, Cage. yeah. Like yeah. I would have never knew they were buddies. Well, I mean, may- maybe, but this is the thing. Maybe they were. I mean, they he Canyon did a match with him. Um, uh, is kind of uh, um an independent show or whatever. And I think uh, Canyon probably worked a few matches, um, in some independents maybe with the Bucks or whatever. But yeah. like you say, yeah, it 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 was strange that it was like AEW guys who are there now talking about Canyon in his later years, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, and nobody that was actually there. Like I said, Ray, they could have interviewed Raven. Fucking Scotty Raven was over there all the time. You know, you, you had guys like Jeff Farmer was over all the time, which was the NWO staying in Japan. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you had all kinds of dudes you could have fucking, you know, Glacier was over there all the time, Ray Lloyd, uh, Luther Biggs, you had... Uh, I mean, shit. I, I know a thousand guys that were over there. I was over there all the time. You know what I mean? You know, I, I could have told you some shit that I saw, you know. Uh, Shane Helms, why didn't they fucking call him? He lived there. And he was good. He did that movie, you know, uh, or uh, that wrestling movie with David Arquette. I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, Ready I to watched, Rumble. Yeah, I watched it the other day. Jordan, I see, as soon as you mentioned Ready to Rumble, <laughs> I, I see Jordan's face go because I bought the, I'm a VHS collector and I bought yeah. one the other day and I watched it and I said, it's the fucking best wrestling movie ever made. And, oh, it's uh, awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. And um, you, you would have been around at that time, right? When it was. Yeah, and Prince IK was trying to get me into that movie. That was when I was in WCW doing yeah. Saturday nights. And, uh, I remember we were out in California and he was supposed to try to hook me up and I was going to go talk to one of the producers or something, but it never happened. But that'd have been cool to be in that movie though. Yeah. Cause Prince Ikea was in it. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, and, I um, mean, everybody in WCW was pretty much in it. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, didn't Canyon do a lot of stunts in that for it as well? Canyon did all the stunts, yeah. Uh, him and Shane Helms did all the stunts uh, for Dave. Well, David Arquette, Arquette did a lot of his own stunts. But uh, Shane Helms, you know, did a lot of stuff for David Arquette. Yeah. And uh, the, I, the main character, you know, Jimmy, whatever. Jimmy King. Can, yeah, can, uh, Canyon did all his stunts. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan's still <laughs> laughing because I watched it the other day and I said to him, dude, this is a fucking great movie. Oh, uh, it's an awesome movie. I, you know, it's if you like wrestling, you're, you can't not like that movie. You know? Um, yeah, I I mean I it's okay for me. Like <laughs> <laughs> I bet Goldberg was in it quite a bit as well. Yeah, um, oh yeah. He was in it there. It's for me, it's just like that nostalgic time of WCW where we feel it was really building up to be something, but I mean, dude, I mean, there was a lot of factors to why it failed. But what do you think, as someone who was there, were the main factors why WCW just wasn't working? Well, a couple of different reasons, probably. You know, talking about the money that was wasted. You know, even even when the NWO was big and they were beating Vince in the ratings and stuff, they were fucking throwing money around like it was water. Like, I mean, you know, you're paying you're paying Vincent a black that you know black vincent uh virgil or what yeah. they call it vincent i guess in the nwo yeah you know you're paying this guy fifty thousand dollars a week on a contract like and he ain't doing shit like how the hell is this guy making fifty thousand dollars a week you know shit like that just blows my mind and they just you know i got there right at the wrong fucking time like like you said i, I was the right guy at the wrong fucking place you know time if i'd got there a year earlier i probably would have experienced a lot of that fucking money and you know the waste but uh, to me, I, it almost seems like somebody, like I said, as far as I knew, Eric Bischoff owned the company. He'd already bought it. That's what I thought. And that's what I think a lot of other guys thought. So you got to ask yourself, who was inside this thing? I think it was sort of an inside job because you got all of a sudden you got Eric Bischoff taking over. And like I said, for the most part, I think probably if not more than half of the roster thought Eric owned the company. So how do you go from one night Eric going to the company to the next day where Vince buys the company? What the fuck happened in that 24-hour time frame or whatever? It might have been longer than that, but that's what it seemed like. That how in the hell does that drastic of a change happen where you already, you know, Bischoff's lawyer's there, the, he already commandeered the company, took it over, you know, as far as I knew, 100%, and then boom, he don't own the company anymore? How the hell did Vince get it? You know what I mean? I, just, I cannot wait for you to ask Eric these questions on get. Yeah, it, it just don't make any sense to me. Like on on from where I seen it, you know what I mean. Well, and and Vince bought it for peanuts in the end. Two million dollars. Man, I'm I'm sure there there could have been so many other people that could have got that kind of money together. Fucking hell! Well, you know, I talked to. Uh, Sean Casey had played for the Cincinnati Reds. He's the first baseman. And then their pitcher, Danny Graves. I was talking to them about it. And I, and, uh, I told them, I said, you know, WCW got bought out by Vince, right? And they're like, no. And they're like, well, how much did he pay for it? I said, $2 million. Danny Graves like, fuck, I should have bought him. I said, damn, I wish he would have. <laughs> I'd still have a job. Weren't it supposed to be around $40 million or something before? Well, that's that's what it started out with, I guess. And I, I guess that's what, you know, Eric was working on. For whatever reason, I heard it was only two million dollars, and all they basically bought was the fucking tape library. It's because they, I think it was so cheap because they got booted off of TV event. I think they they canceled. Yeah, because you didn't have a TV deal. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. no TV deal. All you were buying was the tape library and guys' contracts. People aren't going to buy 
somebody's contract if they don't have TV to put them on. Man, that's crazy. And Vince already had TV, so he wasn't worried about that. You know, shifting over to a, a little bit further on. Um, you want you're an OG TNA guy. Yeah, yeah, original, yeah, yeah. Me and, Lenny Lane. and Chris, Chris is a massive TNA fan. I'm personally, I don't watch it as much as I probably could or should, but Chris is mad TNA. You know, I don't know if you can see the background of Chris's. Oh, it's not even a background. It's, it's just no, room, in, yeah. in front of me, I have it's my TNA wall in front of me. So I've got the, this one's different, but it's like uh, my because t- I feel again that TNA when it started, it had. It had WCW vibes. Like people talk oh, yeah. about AEW now having them WCW vibes. And I think people just hunger for that kind of that kind of thing again to go up against Vince and WWF, WWE or whatever, you know. And TNA in its early days really did have that that WCW vibe. I mean, what was it like being there at, at the beginning? Well, you know, the only thing that sucked about the TNA at the time, they didn't have television. If you remember, they were doing those every Wednesday. They did a pay-per-view. It was like $10 to get this pay-per-view. And they weren't on TV. So, you know, a lot of people, myself included, I'm not going to pay $10 for a fucking show every Wednesday when I could watch WWE for fucking free, you know? Oh. And uh, th- that's, that is what really killed them, I believe. By the time they start building momentum, then they got TV. But you missed the, the, the first couple months of that tna man it was really fucking good they had ken shamrock you know you had uh, i don't remember the guy used to be with alex right the wall jerry too he was one of the main yep, guys yeah alice he was his name was and he was a great friend of mine too he was actually in the power plant as well uh you know you you, you had uh here, here's the deal me and lenny lane go in there to this thing right i'm i'm on the phone with jerry jared and jeff jared at least three four days a week talking about our characters and stuff they wanted me and Lenny Lane to be the top tag team. They were going to put the straps around our waist. You know, we go in there. The first day we go in there, they're having all these meetings with us. You guys are my champions. We're going to, we, we did all these fucking promo pictures. You know, me and Lenny Lane are going to be the champions. No, no two ways about it. That's the way it was. So, you know, they're sitting there promising all this shit. Bang, bang, bang. We're doing this and this. You guys are my number one team. We're building the whole fucking tag team around you and Lenny Lane. And that was just the way it was. So, you know, me and Lenny are pretty excited because we're like, fuck, finally, you know, we're going to get some uh, recognition with our talent to actually do something with it. So the first night it starts out, they, uh, they want us to do a match with James Storm, Chris Harris, that nobody knows they're trying to build them up. And, you know, like I said before, I don't have trouble doing a, doing a job to anybody. I'll put anybody over as long as the match is good. And we both get over what's the fucking difference. So they come to me and Lenny said, Hey, I need you to put these guys over. And this is what we're thinking. So they had them act like they're outside just getting out of their cars in their street clothes. Said, hey, you guys got to wrestle tonight. Uh, you got to wrestle a tag team. You got to go to the ring right now. The team's waiting on you. So me and Lenny's already in the ring. Here they come. Uh, they We put them over. Great match from what I remember. Uh, then the next week, they start a tag team tournament. So me and Lenny win a couple matches. We actually go over Marcus Bag of Dicks. Me and Lenny beat him and Apollo from uh, Puerto Rico. So, uh, you know, we go over them, which Marcus ain't happy at all about that. Me and Lenny actually argued who was going to pin him because we both wanted to pin him so bad. So, actually, then we end, I ended up letting Lenny pin him because Lenny had more of a past with him. So, uh, so, me and Lenny go over to him, and then we get down to the final match in this tag team tournament to win the belts that were promised. 
Well, guess who they put in the ring with us? AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn. Not even a tag team. They just threw them together that night. And then they had them go over. Like me and Lenny are like, what the fuck is going on? They're not even a team. We're, they told us from the get-go we're going to be the champions, and now we put a team over that's not even a fucking team. So me and Lenny already knew our days were numbered after that shit. Fucking hell. That's just classic wrestle crap, isn't it? It is. Same old shit I was used to every fucking time. You know? Those those promo shots you took, did you have the titles on you in those promo shots? No, nah, we never did any titles, but they, they, uh, they did everything but. That I, I don't remember. I don't. I don't think we ever did have the titles. But uh, you know, from day one, I like I said, they promised us every. You know, they. You know, they said they were going to build the whole deal around us and this and that. And then when they did that, we're just like, you know, we're fucked. We're our days are numbered. And then they they actually weed Lenny out, and then they weeded me out. You know, and I actually that's the time I got hurt too in Finland. Uh, so they didn't want me to come back after that. I remember, I think Macho Man Randy Savage turned up in TNA in the early days. Uh, that was after I left, yeah. Yeah, he did. He, he, he turned up, I think, after. Because I remember I used to I used to work at this place and it had, like, uh, computers in, like, the, the lunchroom or whatever. So I had, like, a internet kind of cafe kind of thing going on. So yeah. on my lunch break, I used to go onto the TNA website and there used to be, like, <laughs> video clips up of, like, what was happening. Because, like you say, they never had no TV. They had the pay-per-view yeah. once a week or whatever. Um and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was crazy times, and you know, it's again, it's TNA is another company that I think has been mismanaged, and you know, had money leaking here and there, and fucking, you know, again, they've had Hogan and Bischoff and that there at one one point, um, yeah, yeah. you know. So the wrestling business is is crazy. Oh yeah, and then you know, I, I don't know if you ever remember, I was I did a. We called the Funkster gimmick. I don't know if you ever seen me wrestle as the Funkster. Was that in the WWA? Yeah, WWA with uh, yeah. over in Australia with Andrew McManus. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually talked to Nash. I was up at one of the shows. Remember Melissa Coates? Chili she, she was actually Chili to Melissa. Pet- uh, no, no, Melissa Coates was in Deep South, and then she was actually dating Sabu, and she just passed away a few months ago. Oh, she right. had one leg, the bodybuilding chick. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I became friends with Melissa when she was down here in Georgia because she was at Deep South with the WWE. Uh, and her gimmick, I think, down there was called like the bag lady or something. She was like a homeless bag lady and used to come out there and like jump on people and shit. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> but she just wanted to get in the wrestling business, you know. So uh, I was trying to help her out. So I t- we drove up to TNA, one of their pay-per-views, and uh, uh, the road dog, uh, Brian and uh, Billy Gunn, I talked to them. So they met, they met us outside and got us in the building and stuff. And then uh, – so then I remember talking to Kevin in there and he's like, Hey man, you know, I, I, you, you want to do a gimmick with, uh, he, uh, with me and uh, Jay lethal. Cause he was doing the macho man shit. So they were going to put us together at one point, but uh, not never happened with it. You know, I, I don't know what Kevin didn't pursue it or whatever. I don't know, but uh, it never happened. But uh, that I was trying to get back into TNA, but I just never could get back in. Man, that would have been something else. The Funkster and black machismo. Yeah, right. Like I said, I'm not a massive TNA fan, but I remember the Jay Lethal stuff, and I can imagine, you know, the, the sort of a rerun of the Mega Powers would have been quite yeah, cool to watch. That would have been amazing. <laughs> and, that, and that's what Kevin was thinking too. And I, you know, it might have, as far as entertainment went, and you know, we're both good workers, so it probably might have been a good thing, you know. So, um, t- talking, bringing it forward a little bit to kind of nowadays. So, do do you still watch wrestling? Are you are you still kind of keeping an eye on things? 
you know, I'll, I'll catch a show here and there. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I'm like, not like an old wrestling fan. Like it used to be where, you know, Monday nights I'm like glued to the fucking TV and I got to have the, you know, recorder on recording everything. I'll catch shows when I can. Uh, I'm usually in bed pretty early these days, eight thirty, nine 9 o'clock. Uh, Cause you know, I get up and get up early and stuff and I, I train hard and stuff. So I always want to get my sleep, you know? So uh, yeah, I mean, I'll watch it. I, I'll watch a lot of pay-per-views. Uh, be honest with you, I like watching the women wrestling more than I like the men. Seems like they work harder and it better matches to me. I think we, we've said that recently, that the, yeah. the level of female wrestling, when we were watching WWE especially, like the, the, the level of the females was like way up here, man. You know, it was, it was great. Great stuff. Yeah, I mean, even in AEW, that Britt Baker, she's fucking phenomenal. Um uh, you know, there's a couple other girls. I don't really know their names in AEW. Uh, but, you know, dude, the, the women, they fucking put out matches, man. They, they just seem like Charlotte Flair. To me, she's fucking incredible, man. Like, I could watch her wrestle all fucking day long. Uh, you know, and I'm good friends with her brother, David. And that's not really why I like her. I just think she's fucking phenomenal. She, she outworks everybody as far as I'm concerned. That's uh did david train in the power plant with you he was down there a little bit and he, he that's funny because <laughs> david man and i don't blame david at all for this and i actually uh respect david because he knew he wasn't any good and he'll tell you that he got thrown into something that you know that was handed to him and making good money who the fuck wouldn't take that you know what yeah. i mean but he tried he tried you know he just he's not that great of an athlete uh I, which i don't know how because fucking charlotte's unbelievable you know, and his dad's Ric Flair. I mean, he, that speaks for itself. And his brother Reed was a great talent. And he, he ended up passing away a few years back when he was young because yeah. uh, of his drug addiction. But Reed was incredible. Uh, I had Reed on a couple uh, independent shows that I that I ran. And uh, he was always a good kid, man. I got along with him good. And he was a great worker. But uh, David, and I, it was funny. He used to be in a power play and he would always, and that's why David always called me Angry Allen because I, I kind of am angry Allen in real life. And that's kind of a good nickname for me. Cause I can get angry as you saw in the Marcus bag of dicks video where I was yelling at everybody. But, uh, he, I remember David, I'd be walking by the ring in a power plant. There was four rings set up and he'd be in there not doing anything. Cause nobody really wanted to work with him because he was fucking terrible. And he was kind of lazy and he didn't want to do nothing anyway. So I would walk by the ring and he would always go, Hey funk, what get a ring with me. I'd look at him and go, Flair, shut your fucking mouth, you piece of shit. I'm like, you fucking suck. I said, I would not get in the fucking ring with your ass. I said, if I was Ric Flair's son, I'd be a fucking millionaire. Go fuck yourself. And I just walked away from him. <laughs> he, he's like, God dang, like, what the fuck? And then every time he tried to talk to me, I'd cut a promo on him. Fuck you, Flair. You, you fucking suck. Go fucking home. Like, I'd always get on him. And he and he, and he liked that. He, he liked me for that because I never fucking tried to baby him, you know? It's crazy. I was watching another pay-per-view um, the other day. It was the Rhodes Wild one where you had Crowbar, David Flair, and obviously uh, Daphne, who's no longer with us as well. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it's funny, you know, this is why we love having you guys on because we've been fans and we've been watching the on-screen stuff, but to hear this stuff about what goes on backstage, is, it's just amazing. Just, you know, we just want to thank you for spending some time with us. We know that you're busy with your podcast and the stuff you're doing. So do you want to kind of plug your stuff and let us know what you're doing at the minute, Alan? 
Yeah, yeah, I got a, I actually got two shows on it. It's called the MWA Multi-Continental Wrestling Alliance, MWA World Podcast. Uh, you can check it, you can get them on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get, uh, you know, your podcast. You can watch it on YouTube live. You can watch it on Twitch live on Thursday nights. Uh, the, my first show is is the my, uh, like my, my premiere show, the Get Funk. It's called Get Funk, Not Your Average Wrestling Podcast. Uh, and it's actually recorded now, but it's on Tuesdays. 7 p.m. on YouTube, you can watch it. Now you can, on the audio versions, you can listen to it on wherever you get podcasts. Uh, and then uh, me and uh, Angel Medina, one of the ECW originals, he was in Debaldi's. Uh, me and him do a show live on Thursday nights. It's on the MWA World Podcast Network, and you can watch that on Twitch and YouTube, and then get it audio wherever you get podcasts. It's called the Funkin' Kingpin Show because his name is Angel the Kingpin Medina. And, uh, you know, just the Funkin', you know, Alan Funk, the Funkin' Kingpin show. So it's actually a pretty good show. We it we talk about wrestling, but we talk about a bunch of bullshit, too. Uh, we just get on there and cut up and have fun and talk about whatever we feel like talking about. So, you know, if, if, you, if you're offended easily, I wouldn't listen to the, to the Funkin' Pod or the Funkin' Kingpin podcast because, you know, we talked about uh, getting physical when you prostate exam and all that last Thursday. So. You know, a lot of a lot of people might not like shit like that, but you know, it, it makes for good, good entertainment. And you know, you know, sometimes people want to hear, you know, what some of these wrestlers go through in their own in the real life. So that's what we talk about. Yeah, I'm I'm sure fans of our show would love to hear about that. They they love to hear about shit like that. You know, uh, you know, they're not shy at all. So uh, guys, listen to Alan's, you know, get funked and funked in the Kingpin uh, podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, Jay, you got some any, anything else you want to speak to Alan about? Well, we've taken up a lot of your time already. We'd really just like to say thank you so much for coming on. We, you know, at, at WCW, you know, an original might be a good word for it. You know, like you said, ECW original, WCW original, someone that came through the fucking power plant. You know, that's that. I mean, you could probably write a book on that on its own. Like, oh, hey, so, also, I got, I want to plug something too. Uh, we got we got a, a couple uh we, we don't it's kind of an anonymous group that started this thing and, it, and it's it's 100 legit like uh, they got a hold of me because i got a podcast they want me to introduce this i'm a podcast but i'll, I'll say it here first on your podcast because i haven't announced it yet uh there's there's going to be a wcw power plant hall of fame and uh the first five nominees were decided by the committee which i don't know who they are uh, and it's going to be uh, trainers, which is S Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, uh, Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, which has passed away, uh, Jody Hamilton, the assassin, which passed away, uh, Pistol Pez Watley, uh, which was one of the trainers in the power plant, which he also passed away, and then you're going to have uh, Mike Winter, that was one of the head trainers down at the power plant. So that's the first five nominees on the uh, WCW Power Plant Hall of Fame. Man, you heard it here first from Alan Kwee Funk, the, the Power Plant Hall of Fame. I mean, like you said earlier, you know, the pure amount of talent that has come out of that place, you know, and uh, the blood, sweat, tears, and often grown men shit in their own pants um, <laughs> has come out of that place. Just incredible. That's a no, shoot, kid. That's a shoot. <laughs> So, I mean, we again, we can't thank you enough, Alan. We, we're really grateful for you spending your, you know, giving us your time. Um, and we just want all of our listeners, check out Alan's stuff, get on his podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Um, uh, you know, there's not much more we can say, but thank you, man. Yeah, also, MWA's got a, uh, we're going to have a website coming out too pretty soon. 
uh, we're going to start selling merchandise and stuff on there. So you'll be able to get all the podcasts. And we have a lot of good podcasts on this, not just mine and angels. Yeah. Uh, you got uh, Piers Austin, which is at Australia. He's got a, it's called shooting the shit. He has a lot of good uh, guests on that show. A lot of Australian talent. Uh, they, he's got a lot of death match, Australia death match uh, wrestlers on there. Uh, then you got uh, the Dead Presidents, which are pretty much independent legends in the States. Uh, they got a show, Knights of the Gimmick Table. And then you have uh, Angel Medina has his own show called Killing the Business. So uh, the MWA Podcast Network has a lot of good podcasts, not just the one I, I do or the two that I do, the Get Funked and the Funky Kingpin Show. But check check out all the podcasts on the MWA Podcast Network and uh, good things to come from the MWA. Well, that is, uh, thank you so much, Alan, for coming on. Um, again, we can't thank you enough for giving up your time to talk to a couple of jabronis from the UK. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man, I appreciate you guys asking me beyond, man. It's always a you know pleasure when uh, when somebody actually, want, actually wants to interview, man. I'm, I'm humbled by that, and I appreciate it. No worries, man. You put you put in the work, and you know we we know what it's like to to actually be in the ring, but not to the extent that you did, and you know the the amount that you guys put your bodies on the line, and the, the you know we're just fucking grateful. And it's some someone like you who was there in WCW, who we we cherish that so much that 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 company and the fact that you were there when it was kind of everything was falling around you, but you were still able to have that. We still speak about that match on, on greed all the time. The fact that yeah, keep, keep talking about it, man, pump it up. It was Cause it was the house of cards was falling down around you, but you just literally would just that match was just on its own. It's just incredible. So, yeah, man, you know, yeah, like I said, man, I appreciate that, man. I really do. It means a lot that uh, people still watch that match this day and, you know, they always caught me on it. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, I'm glad I had that match and I'm glad people still actually enjoy it. But when you listen to my podcast too, man, I got all these great stories, all the guys from the power plant I've had on my show. I had Sarge on my show, you know, we talk about all that stuff. So if you ever want to check out the other, the old episodes, you can go on YouTube and check them all out. And you know, there's a lot of great WCW stories on every one of them podcasts. We'll, we'll be there, man. That's going to be listening for me and Jordan. Definitely. We'll, make sure, we'll definitely make sure those links are in there on the YouTube on our 100%. YouTube channel. For this links one, in yeah. the description yeah definitely yeah yeah you know uh we you guys are i i got the information to follow you you guys are on youtube as well right yeah 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 so yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna look you guys up uh or send me a link on the uh the instagram dm and then that way i can follow you guys and hopefully you guys can follow us and you know we can support each other you know 100 percent, man that's what we're doing you know we 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 always like to support because, you know, if it weren't for you guys, you know, we wouldn't even be doing what we're doing. So, you know, definitely share the love, man. So thanks again, Alan, Kwee, Wee Funk. Thanks for joining us. And uh, listeners, you know, this was a good one, baby. Yeah, I guess if you guys ever need me to help you got to get somebody or uh, if, you, if you're thinking about wanting somebody on the show, I can see what I can do to help you guys out. So let me know. Man, thank you so much, thank man. You, Alan, Cheers, Alan. That. All right, guys, I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Alan Kwiwi Funk for coming on and chatting to us about WCW, everything else in between, TNA, Dark Side of the Ring, all that amazing stuff that you know we literally you literally just heard. Um, you cannot thank him enough for coming on. You can see find the links for all of his shows in our descriptions on YouTube, and I'm sure they will. I'll you know I'll put them up on our socials, which you will find 
underneath us if you're looking at the video yeah or you already know where they are it's at chat grapple pops for pretty much everything trust me baby y'all know y'all know so, y'all done been here before as our wonderful wonderful host with the most the best christian all christmas all christmas i'm chatting shit nearly now. there bro it's I'm, all right let's get I'm past halloween first the best chris in all of wrestling podcasts there it is i said it without <laughs> fucking up <laughs> <laughs> Like he says, slap those bells, hit those buttons, do what you gotta do. Do it. Make sure you can hear us straight away. You don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss our stuff. And we love you for it. We do, man. And we 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 can't thank our listeners enough. And it, you know, we are constantly striving for more content we are constantly putting in the work chatting to these guys we are constantly chatting to wrestlers all over the world trying to get them on this podcast which is chat grapple and cheap pops we are also going to be doing some more reviews we've got them coming up we've got some wcw shows that we're looking at right now and it seems like we are a wcw podcast right now but <laughs> you know we, we we've had so many guys on from wcw um but we've also had your WWE guys, your WWF guys. We've had, let's not forget, Duke the Dumpster Drosy, Santino Marella. You know, we have had, um, oh, yeah. you know, we've had everyone. We've had your Chris Hamricks. We've had Sonny Ono. We've had, you know, Alex Wright was our most recent one. And now we've just signed off with Alan Quiwi Funk. And we're just going to keep going. We've got more shit in the pipeline. Not to not to forget at all our UK wrestling um, interviews that we've had with uh, Dean Ayas, the Twisted Genius. We've got another one coming up with someone who was integral in the British wrestling industry. So, fuck, man, I can't gas up the podcast any more than I just well, have. We can, because what we can do is we can end this in the most special of ways, as always. We thank zenpop.jp for looking out for us, looking after us. You know, right. $5 off. Remember, $5 off if you use the special code GRAPPLE. That's right. And Link in the description. Worldwide, Touch. baby. That's Anywhere right. you want, they will send you some of that those sweets, some ramen if you're interested, or even stationery. Yeah. So thank you so much to Zenpop. And thank you so much to our other friends. Chris, yep. which I'm sure you'd like to talk about. Our other friends who are, are UK exclusive ones only. Sorry, guys, in America, you can't be getting this. But it is the Bubble Panda. And Jordan, my fantastic co-host, is holding up his box right there. Bringing, bringing the bubbles to you, thebubblepanda.com. Get on there, order your bubble tea boxes so you can make them at home. They've got the tropical boxes. They've got, they're going to have some winter warmer boxes, which are coming soon that I'm really looking forward to because they've got like the, the chocolate bobas and the fucking, oh man, I'm just creaming my pants thinking about that already. So get on that. Thanks again to thebubblepanda.com and uh, zenpop.jp. Thank you so much to those guys for looking after us and for being a part of this thank you to everyone listening thank you to everyone that's still watching you know shout out to chris as it was his birthday earlier in the week we'll talk Boom. about we'll talk about that we'll talk about his wild week with the parties <laughs> with marty janetti the parties with you know arn anderson click click we'll that's talk right. about all of that stuff next week when you know or in in a, in a review episode real soon that's but right thank you very much for sticking around we love you all take care everyone